In the heart of the state of the art, at the dawn of the next stage in entertainment, you found no proscenium. indeed found no proscenium the voice of everything immersive welcome to episode 353 i'm your host noah nelson this week on the show writer margaret carrison whose work over the past decade has helped define large-scale immersive attractions is here to talk about her new book immersive storytelling for real and imagined worlds a writer's guide which is hitting bookstores this month And Charlie Miller, executive director and curator of the Denver Center for Performing Arts Off-Center program, stops by to talk about the elevation of Off-Center as its own pillar of the DCPA, the road that led to this moment, and the work on tap for Denver this fall. But first, one thing for the headlines this week. The creative artist agency, CAA, has tapped Joanna Popper as chief metaverse officer for the agency. She'll be tasked with setting the strategy and business priorities for the agency and its clients when it comes to all things metaverse. Popper previously led XR go-to-market efforts at Hewlett-Packard, including the launches of its award-winning HP Reverb G2 headsets, and is the producer of the award-winning Brianna's Garden Augmented Reality Experience. In short, Popper brings a depth of knowledge and a network of relationships to the role that is set to be both an asset to CAA and to the XR community as a whole. Congratulations, Joanna. This podcast and all we do at No Pro is brought to you by our generous Patreon supporters. Our latest backers are Christy Rowe and Orly Native. We're looking to get 16 more backers, I know that's a lot, at the $5 level, not so much of a lot, so that we can hit our next milestone and build momentum for what we hope to be a very active 2023. Remember, all that we do here at NoPro really is supported by the Patreon, so we need that help. Patreon.com slash NoProscenium. Our sustaining backers, the backbone of what we do, are Ari Hurston, Chris Woolman, Samantha Davison, Eric Shamlin, Elaine, Jay Bushman, Jerome Joseph Gentes, David Bassick, Richard Ayers, Lonnie Hanson, Mark Baltazar, Sidney Guillory, and Jan Budman. Thank you all for making this podcast, the newsletters, and the website possible. And now, without any further ado, let's get into this week's interviews. She's written adventures for you in a galaxy far, far away and amongst the mightiest heroes in the multiverse. But her next big adventure starts this summer when her book, Immersive Storytelling for Real and Imagined Worlds, A Writer's Guide, hits bookstores courtesy of Michael Wheezy Productions. The author in question, Margaret Carrison, whose most recent projects include Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser and Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. Margaret, we are so honored to have you with us here today. Noah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and chatting with you today. Yes, this has been a long time coming, and like we had like technical difficulties when we tried this a week ago, so very, very <laughs> exciting. Um, this book is fantastic. I've gotten to read a, a preprint edition, and it's it's definitely something that I know 
anyone who's who makes immersive stuff could benefit from having this book and probably probably wishes they knew it was in the book before they started out. So what I wanted to ask you was, mm-hmm. what do you wish someone had told you before you started making these immersive worlds? Uh, and, 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 and where is yeah. that in the book? <laughs> is that the whole book? <laughs> so It's funny you ask that because I feel like I shared almost everything I know, you know, and it, and it's not only just me, it's really a collective wisdom of thoughts and insights from people that I respect and admire and just observations and, you know, things that I've learned over the past 14 years that I've been in this industry and doing what I do. And to the point where I feel like I even maybe overshared, you know, and I wanted to make it really personal to me to just, you know, this is one perspective. This is my experience. Everyone else is going to have a different story to tell. But I also think that it's really important to remember that the best stories ask questions rather than Mm. give you answers. And that's how I approached this book. I wanted to create a book for all immersive storytellers, creatives, writers alike that did just that. A book that guides you in asking the right questions so that you can find your own answers. Because no two projects are alike, as you know. No two journeys are the same and no two teams are the same. So you really have to have this, um, you know, profound collective wisdom of ideas and learnings and thought and experiences. Every time you bring in someone into a team, um, every time you pick up topic or a subject or whatever that passion is that you want to pursue as a team, it changes everything, right? If there's all these different variables. So it's hard to write a book that says step one, do this, step two, do that. Because in my experience, no two projects are the same. You're going to have a different experience um, depending on who's on your team, what you're working on, you know, all of that stuff, right? So you just... The best way that I can explain this book is that it is a guide of sorts, that if you're lost, if you need inspiration, whether you're an aspiring writer or storyteller, or you're someone who's been doing this for years and you just need like a little pick me up or an inspiration or just to get out of the woods a little bit, you know, and find your way. I hope that it's going to be useful for everyone who's interested in trying to create an immersive uh, story, no matter what the medium. I think there's real serious truth to what you're saying about no two projects being the same, because it's not, it's not even in the sense that like no two films are the same or no two novels are the same, but the the very form, not just the content, but the form of an experience uh, and that's that's super true in themed entertainment it, it, you know, and and immersive because it could be a processional, it could be something that has vehicles involved, it could have actors, it could be really high on the agency, or it could be really passive on the agency. Like what mm-hmm. what effect you're trying to create in the in the the, the, the participant and the guest is yeah. you know it's infinite. There's like an infinite realm of op- of options, which can be really yeah, exactly. daunting for folks. It's really daunting, but it's also really exciting because there's no clear formula or recipe that you have to follow, right? You may know that 
um, these are the ingredients that you're using for this particular thing that you're putting together. But ultimately, the journey sometimes it's so iterative too, right? The process. So perhaps you're inspired by something that you know occurs to you in the moment with the team, or you know individually it occurs to you, sort of thing. And you know, though you you bring that into the project and you test it out even among your team members as well, right? To see whether or not it resonates, because a lot of the times, you know, the best ideas don't necessarily always come from you as a storyteller or the creative lead or anything like that. It can come from anywhere, and being able to um, create something together and build that core together is really exciting. It is very challenging, but I think that. Some of my best experiences working on projects is when we all have that very, uh, we're all aligned in that creative intent and being able to inspire each other and push each other to kind of, uh, you know, push the boundaries of what we can do. And it's everything from the vehicles, as you say, to like the level of agency, all of that stuff. When we break that apart, we, we totally just let ourselves start fresh and not have any limitations initially. And then from there kind of build something great together, it's the best feeling in the world. So I, I can't even, um, you know, for a lot of people who are thinking about going into this industry or who have been in this industry for a while, who know exactly what I mean, when you have that, um, you know, that mind meld of sorts with your team it's it's really a really it's a great feeling you mentioned working with your team and and the mind meld just now you've been mind melding on some of the biggest projects in the space like just the the absolute marquee uh things we, we mentioned the names of a couple of them at the top i can only imagine with with how much winds up on your plate uh, project to project, how you carved out time to write a guide to writing immersive. Like, <laughs> why, why did you take this on 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 you on top of everything else? You've got these giant deliverables, and it's like, yeah, I think I'll write a guide. You know, just my spare time. <laughs> why? How you know, do you sleep? It's, what drugs? <laughs> yeah. It's so strange because. You know, I wish this book existed when I first started out in the industry and even before that, when I was way younger, you know, as a kid, because I didn't grow up in the U.S. You know, I was born in Indonesia. I grew up in Singapore. I didn't know that companies needed writers or storytellers for theme parks or any kinds of immersive experiences. I didn't know about Walt Disney Imagineering until I was in my 20s or other companies that designed experiences. So yes, it took a lot of time to write this book, but I felt like it was needed, you know, and this really uh, started during the beginning of lockdown. And, you know, I was watching my son struggle through remote learning and, you know, I was trying to work from home and helping him do that. And I was like, you know what, we're stuck at home anyway. So I'm going to just like <laughs> try this challenge of trying to, trying to, find a way to write a guide for someone who would want to uh, create something, uh, an immersive storytelling medium and format, because how would I explain that to someone who doesn't know anything about this craft, right? And so every morning, 
for 10 months, I woke up and wrote 6 to 8 a.m., Monday to Sunday. And there wasn't a day that I skipped. I just wrote because I think that it's surprising that when you really want to do something, you make the time to do it. And this was something that I really wanted to do. I mean, deep down in my bones, I, I really wanted to write, challenge myself to write something that I haven't read before, but also have this kind of, um, you know, way to describe and to concisely explain what it is that we do in a way that's useful and helpful uh, as a guide for any type of writer or storyteller out there. And it was something that was really a love letter to this industry. Um, I, I drew on a lot of projects that I worked on myself, but I also actually used examples of experiences that I was a fan of and I wanted to talk about, you know? And I think that, you know, everything from the really small experiences to the bigger experiences to, you know, um, the big budget to the small budget, all of that stuff, it didn't, it didn't matter to me. I wanted to include them all because, you know, I, I'm a fan of a lot of the work of, you know, what other people have done. And I want to share that. And I want to share in that excitement and write about that passion so that other people can see just how varied and diverse this world of immersive storytelling is. And I wanted other people to fall in love with it, just as I have with all of these experiences as well. And that's something I, I really noted was that the examples you have, they they don't just touch on the big touchstones. It's not just about Sleep No More or like the work you did it on Galaxy's Edge, but you're also talking about the smaller indie works. You you tag the nest, you tag the willows, which are both, you know, smaller scale experiences here in Los Angeles. How much do you think yeah. um the smaller indie works are are in dialogue with the the larger works like with the creative forces as we start to like yeah. codify this field and as the designers you know who are working in themed entertainment are 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 seeing this stuff like is this a yeah like like how how is this yeah. dialogue shaping up from your point of view i mean that's a really great question because you know as i mentioned i'm such a huge fan of all kinds of experiences big and small physical, digital, virtual, spiritual, emotional, metaphysical, right? The designer, the source, the budget or scale of the work doesn't interest me as much as the emotional value of the experience, meaning how does it make me feel? Because make no mistake, we're in the emotions business and we don't experience mm. things just to experience them. We want to feel something whether it's joy, fear, mystery, friendship, love, thrills, we want those emotions heightened and guaranteed when we dedicate our time and attention to it. And we want to do it with other people, right? People we love and or strangers. I mean, isn't that why we go to theme parks and horror houses and other experiences to have those guaranteed feelings and to dedicate ourselves, our time, our attention to that experience? So absolutely, yes, the smaller independent works are just as important and as part of the dialogue of codifying that the field of immersive storytelling. And in many cases, they've helped to redefine and evolve it. They've challenged the bigger companies to really think differently about how they approach storytelling, right? And how they can approach 
our role as participants and as guests in any kind of experience that we walk into. And we can see this with, um, you know, a lot of, um, you know, the gaming industry as well, where they're really blurring the lines and the boundaries between, you know, what a player can do. And I'm really excited to see how that can evolve in our particular industry and seeing how, how we can really push um, the boundaries where it's between, you know, the physical and what's real, what's not real becomes really blurred. I think that can be very exciting. Is there any particular example um, from from the indie scene, like something that kind of like stuck with you and and started making you rethink how you were approaching things? Yeah, I mean, even just the examples that you brought up, which I brought up in the book as well, um, the nest and the willows. Um, when I experienced the willows, I I really did not know what to expect. And there was a lot of that surprise and delight and suspense and mystery all rolled into one. And for people who aren't familiar with it, um, it's an experience where I want to say about 15 to 20 people are invited into as a dinner guest into uh, the Willows household. And even starting out with um, meeting in a uh, discreet location somewhere in, you know, L.A., and getting picked up by this white van, being blindfolded, and listening to this um, audio, this welcome, this pre-show before you, as you're driving to the house, of setting the ground rules of what this experience is about, really created that mood and that sense of mystery and anticipation to what you're about to experience. And from the moment we stepped out of the shuttle, you know, we're greeted by some of the family members carrying groceries and they're like, oh, we're, we've been waiting for you. Like, come on in, that sort of thing. And it, it was about a two and a half hour experience. But it really, you know, the thing that's really surprising to me was that, you know, I'm an introvert and it really brought me out of my shell. It really forced me to um, play a role that I'm not probably comfortable with in my real life. But because I had that permission to play and because I had that um, incentive to engage with the characters and really be in it and try to uncover this mystery of the willows. And, you know, um, there's a kind of a murder, you know, death sort of thing element in it that you really want to understand and uncover the truths of this very, very peculiar family. There was this one scene where. Um, I was in the bathroom with one of the family members, a sister, and, you know, she laid me down in the bathtub sort of thing, talking about, you know, after brushing my hair, talking about how their uncle um, died sort of thing. And it was so surreal, like the emotions that you're feeling from like fear to mystery to excitement to, you know, to feeling like you're part of something, that you belong in this world, that you have a role to play, that you're seen and heard and engaged, all of those things are something that we want, right, in our ordinary lives. And again, when you're in an experience like this, where your emotions are heightened and magnified to the point where you're feeling everything um, around you, this multi-sensory experience is really amazing. And the nest is a really good example of that too 
where, you know, I didn't know what to expect. Um, you get a letter from this uh, woman who recently died and has, and you've won her storage unit. And everything from that letter that you received in the email, which was written in story, really great. And to the point where you're going up this rickety, you know, elevator shaft to the storage unit and having this like opportunity to explore and wander her storage unit, which is really a metaphor of her life, right? You're peeling back layers. You're looking at all the nooks and crannies of her childhood, um, her, you know, teenage years, her adult life and really uncovering who she was, this person, and how behind every object, behind every person, there's a story that is has yet to be discovered. And I love that. I love um, having those intimate moments where it feels extremely well thought out and well curated, and to the point where you just want to you just want to immerse yourself deeper and deeper and you want more and more of it. And I think those two examples are really, really special to me um, in terms of uncovering, you know, through that story, you start to uncover and make sense of things in your own life as well. And I think the best stories do that. They hold a mirror to you and reflect upon, you know, your own life, the decisions that you make and brings up questions. It raises questions of what if, what if that was me? You know, what, what would I do in that situation? All of those things, you're able to explore that in, in, in this, in, in this, in this experience. So yeah, I think that I, I can't wait to see more and more of that. I think it's going to be very exciting to push on it. To get back to the book uh, for a second, something that struck me is that the publisher here is Michael Weezy Productions. And for, for those who have, you know, dreamed of being a filmmaker at some point in their life, they probably know the imprint because of there's books like film directing, shot by shot, which can be found in every Barnes and Noble. Uh, I, I own like a bunch of Michael Weezy books. And when I saw <laughs> that they were your publisher, I was like, whoa, this is like, this is kind of serious in terms of like, you know, who's going to have access to this book, like how far it's going to get out and like how this is being communicated to the world. So who's the intended audience here for, for this, for this book? Who, yeah. Or maybe even who yeah. are you hoping finds this that, you know, in your wildest dreams? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when I thought about which publisher to pursue, I thought about the screenwriting books that I read when I was first starting out in my journey to become a writer. Books like the original Save the Cat, um, The Writer's Journey, uh, writing the TV drama series, which was written by my later USC thesis professor, Pamela Douglas. And I wanted to approach Michael Weezy Productions because I felt like this should be mainstream. This idea of immersive storytelling um, crosses so many different genres, and in fact, shares a lot of um, best practices with a lot of industries out there, like filmmaking, like game designs, um, like TV writing, and all of this, right? That we shouldn't be this uh, forgotten child in the, in the corner, if you will, that we are 
we should be mainstream. And in fact, um, when I had this phone conversation with Michael, the first time I spoke with him, he had told me that they had been waiting a long time to do a book like this, but no one had ever approached them because oh, wow. perhaps they thought, you know, um, that it was, uh, you know, too uh, nuanced for them or anything like that. But I guess I've, I've never, you know, I, I thought about them because of the, the books that I read from, you know, the past, but I also felt like this is something that should be read by anyone who is interested in creating a compelling and engaging story. So when you ask who I want the intended audience to be, you know, it's everyone from aspiring and experienced writers, storytellers, creatives, and any kind of dreamer, really, because I think that, um, you know, before I was anything else, I was a very curious, imaginative kid. And I had a lot of dreams. And I had kind of a, a list of things that I had to do in my life. And writing a book was one of them. But you know, I think that anyone who's ever hoped to do anything creative in their lives and wanting to tell a story in a way that's not traditional um, should read this book. I, I think it's for them. I think it's for the people who want to think about story differently. And I hope that there's something useful um, for those people, for those readers and future storytellers, at least I tried to make it useful. So we'll see whether or not it is helpful for them. Well, well speaking about thinking about story differently, uh, I wanted to I wanted to get you to talk a minute about the wheel, about the immersive storytelling question <laughs> wheel, because I just I, this is this is a rather it's a, it's a rather striking image. So it's like all the classic questions: who, what, where, when, why, and how. You you get them arranged in this kind of like crosshairs, uh, <laughs> where why is at the center, but like how is like surrounding everything, and then the other four are kind of like hanging out in their own little quadrants. Like, where did this come from? How yeah. like what's yeah, yeah. So you know, I it was a way for me to try to visualize a concept that many of us designers and storytellers take for granted because we, you know, a lot of people jump into the, what is this thing, you know, when and where does it take place and how are we going to do it? Um, uh, how, what, what are the things we're going to do? All of that stuff, right? Before we even ask the question of why are we even doing this? Why are we sharing this story with the world? And why now? You know, why is it important to the world? Um, and what is it about this that can really change the conversation, right? And not only why is it important to the world, but why is it important to you as a storyteller, as the voice? Uh, because knowing why you're the best person to share the story and understanding this why is so vital so that you can stay true to your core intent and later communicate it with the team and the world, right? And understanding that why um, makes it makes all the other components, the what, when, where, how, that much stronger and more compelling and fundamentally rooted in something meaningful and hopefully universal. Because once you understand that why of 
you know, why you even want to tell the story, why you're the best person to tell it, it becomes bulletproof. It becomes solid that no one else can come in and own it or shake it up and break it. I think that I really believe in that. I really believe that if every single one of your team members and most definitely you as the storyteller can answer that why, then you are going to be indestructible. You're able to really, you know, move forward and go for that moonshot and really not falter because when people try to poke holes, they take think want to take things away, want to take some of the best parts away, you go back to the why. This is why we're keeping it, this particular component, this particular element of the story, because this is why we're doing it, you know, whatever that reason is, right? If you have a solid why, then it your your project becomes uh, that much more compelling and powerful. That's so that's a, why. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that, there you go. And, and then that's a solid piece of advice, I think, for any type of storytelling, right? You know, like getting back down to getting back down to this idea that, you know, the, I always, sometimes I think of a story as almost like as a spell, like you're trying to affect some kind of change and you got to know what, uh, what change you're trying to affect. And if you don't know, if you don't know what it is you're doing and why you're doing it, then the, then the, the magic just doesn't work. You know, you don't, you can't believe in it enough. Um, right. But with that as kind of like a, a universal for storytelling on the flip side, and this will probably be where we land for, for today. What, through your eyes, what sets immersive storytelling apart from the other disciplines, from, from screenwriting, from making a novel? Like story is story and is so key, but, but what is the differentiator here? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd say three things. Um, firstly, the participant has a role in immersive storytelling, or at least they should. They don't have roles in movies or books, right? Sometimes you wanna kick back with a good book and get lost in a story or watch a movie and be a passive viewer. There's nothing wrong with that. I love it too. But in immersive storytelling, you want to be engaged as an active participant. You wanna live it, be immersed in it, have the permission and opportunity to play and see where it takes you. and most importantly, it's for you to be present in the moment, to give that dedicated time and attention to an experience. So you have a part to play in that story. You're not watching someone else's story transpire. You have an integral role or should have an integral role in order to um, change the story or have consequences or results that matter. And I think that's important as well, because if you play a role and there's no good payoff, there's no great emotional takeaway or anything like that, then it's not as effective, right? Like you want to be able to know that the actions you take matter. And that's really important. Um, Secondly, I think immersive storytelling is uh, multisensory. So it's storytelling by engaging all of your senses, touch, sight, hearing, smell, and taste. And when you think about, you know, traveling to a new country, all of that, the sights, sounds, smells, tastes, the textures, all of that combined takes you on a compelling adventure and a journey. And one that will create memories and perhaps set traditions and rituals that you want to recreate again and again. 
with your family and friends. And I think thirdly, for immersive storytelling, I think it needs or it's meant to be social. You know, most experiences are better shared with someone. And I think that's just our human nature, right? Like wanting to share an awesome experience with someone, whether it's physical, digital, or virtual, you know, ideally it's physical, at least there's a physical element of it, but we need that human connection to truly immerse ourselves in a story well told. And, you know, gaming, as I mentioned, is really pushing the boundaries on this too, right? Where before gaming used to fall under the more limited um, boundaries of films and TV and books. But now, you know, you can attend virtual concerts with your friends from the comfort of your homes. Um, but nothing, in my opinion, beats the in-person, face-to-face connection, you know, especially after the pandemic. You know, we've really become so comfortable with all kinds of connections, whether it's, you know, uh, digital, virtual, physical, but I think we want different ways to socialize and having that opportunity to design experiences that are social, that are multi-sensory, that gives you a part, an important part to play in the story are all things that makes immersive storytelling uh, a huge um, differentiator from more traditional methods like screenwriting and writing a novel and reading a book or playing a game. Margaret, I'm so thankful that you assembled this, that you've, you've, you've codified this wisdom you've acquired uh, into a book. I, 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 I'm also excited to hear that Michael Weezy was waiting for someone to come uh, <laughs> this kind of book and and it definitely feels like now is the time and and by having these moments where where you know um i i sometimes uh borrow a term from uh the the writer robert persig uh who talked about static latching like you know like the, sort of this balance between things that are dynamic and things that are static and sometimes you need mm-hmm. something uh that becomes sort of like the the ladder rung and creators have been out there you've been out there trying all these different things and and to have something that pulls it all into a book that some 16 year old who you know really enjoyed one of these experiences at a theme park and wants to go deeper can find at a bookstore 16 year olds still go to bookstores uh and 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 then maybe like that starts the <laughs> path to yeah, we hope. Uh, that starts the path to being the next creator. Or the, all the folks who are, like the folks listening to the show, who are, like you mentioned, maybe maybe they're lost in the woods of their own process at the moment. And to have this as a touchstone to come back to, I think it's super valuable. Uh, it's As we're recording this, it's about to be available, I think, from Michael Weezy's website. And then in, in August, it will be available everywhere books are sold, correct? Yes, August 23rd, it will be available everywhere in any bookstore, um, everything from your local independent bookstores uh, to, you know, the Amazons and Barnes and Nobles of the world. And I do plan on having an event in Roman's bookstore in Pasadena, California, September 9th for um, a little Q&A and a book signing. So I'd love to see people there. I'd love to meet people. And, you know, I'd love to see uh, just any you know present and aspiring storytellers out there so come and say hi i 
I love uh, just chatting about this and meeting the future storytellers of the world. And thank mm. you so much, Noah, for having me oh, on yeah. this podcast. I mean, you, you know, you're doing great, honorable work. And, uh, you know, I, I love your podcast. And I okay. just really hope that everyone really um, you know, has this chance to get immersed in uh, this wonderful field that we're both uh, such passionate fans of. So thank you so much for having me. Thank no. Thank you. Thank you. It is, it is, it is our <laughs> honor. And, and I love Romans. So like, that's great. Like, I, I will, I'll make a point of being there myself. So <laughs> we'll make it a party. Uh, pl- plenty of do Pasadena. I love Pasadena. So like, like, let's go. All right. Uh, yes. Again. Thanks. Joining us now is Charlie Miller, who's the executive director and curator of Off Center at the Denver Center for the Performing Arts. I say all that, uh, and then I need to say this. Charlie's been a friend of the show for a while now, uh, and indeed, he's one of the people that I'm working with uh, as part of the dig that's happening in Denver this November. Uh, And Charlie and I have talked dozens of times, and somehow Charlie's never been on the show (laughs) Which seems absurd, but that title I just read off to you—that's uh, his new title because this is a this is a big change. So Charlie, hi, welcome to the show. Sorry, it's taken like years now. My Thank bad. Thank you. I'm I'm honored to be here. I'm glad you're here. Uh, we we have such good conversations, and we've had such good conversations about immersive theater, like all around the country. Like we've hung out in San Diego together during Wow. We've we, back at the old IDS days in denver like i think i've seen you in more cities than i've seen anyone else i know actually come to think of it maybe landon landon zakheim i think is in the running you know definitely as as the other um so this this is there's a big news hit here which is about off center but i think we need to give everyone the context first so tell us what is off center or, or i guess what was off center at the denver center for the performing arts and what is it now um, I'll give you the medium length version of the off-center origin story, which is also uh, pretty closely intertwined with my own professional evolution. So um, I grew up in Denver. I grew up uh, going to shows at the DCPA, which is the big regional theater um, in our community. It's and, also like the biggest west of the Mississippi, right? Yeah, it's a, there's, yeah. we're a resident of a huge arts complex that we share with the symphony and the opera and the ballet. We do all the theater and we have both the regional theater, which produces original work, and the Broadway touring side, which brings in um, touring productions under one organizational umbrella, which is a great business model because um, you know the revenue from the Broadway shows help offset the costs of producing original work, which is very expensive and complicated. And so we have this amazing theatrical ecosystem uh, in our organization and an incredible, talented group of people. So anyway, I grew up seeing shows at the DCPA and, uh, you know, loving theater. I went away for college and um, did a lot of theater and did a lot of filmmaking and was really interested in the intersections between theater and video and this was right as uh, social media was hap- starting. Um, 
And I was interested in how social media and kind of online interaction could change the way that people interacted with theater and experienced theater. And so um, I did a, a multimedia thesis production in college that was called Username Faust. And it was a retelling of the Faust legend all about YouTube celebrity. And this was in 2008, like a year after YouTube was sort of a thing. Um, Charlie bit my finger had just come out. And so the show. You're not the Charlie who bit the finger. I just correct. want to know that. Um, different and it still hurts. Um, so I did this show that was a live theatrical production with a, incorporated a bunch of video, but then the story continued on YouTube and people could interact with the videos. And I was really interested in that as kind of an extension of the show, but also the marketing of the show. And you could kind of have different entry points to the story and to the experience. Um, I had an opportunity my senior year to meet the leadership of the DCPA, Dan Ritchie, the CEO, and Kent Thompson, who was the artistic director at the time, and tell them about my interests. And they were very intrigued. And um, that started a, a conversation that led to me having the opportunity to pitch them an idea for a job, which was uh, to create a multimedia lab for the DCPA because they were developing new work for traditional theater and they were seeing more and more playwrights using video in scripts and they didn't have a department that was able to support that. And obviously I was developing those skills and interested in the kind of broader implications of technology and theater. And so, um, so I pitched this idea and they were crazy enough to say yes. And so I started an entry level job at the DCPA right out of college uh, and then we kind of didn't know what to do. And so I was put on the artistic team and I was sort of the token millennial of the artistic team. And at the time, performing arts organizations were really starting to grapple with the notion of millennials who weren't going to attend the theater the way that their parents and grandparents were and who wanted something very different in their cultural experiences. And as the, as the millennial um, they started looking to me for like, well, what do millennials want? And I, I was joined shortly thereafter by a colleague named Emily Tarquin, who um, also had a bunch of fun ideas. And I, and there was an empty theater in our complex that wasn't really activated. And I said to Emily, um, I wanted that to be the multimedia lab. And Emily said, I want to do weird programming out of that theater. And I was like, yes. And so uh, and our our boss Kent, the artistic director, was like, "Yeah, let's let's experiment." And then nothing happened until we got a big grant that allowed us to experiment. It was called the Innovation Lab for the Performing Arts. And through that, we realized that the vision was actually broader than technology. It was about how do we engage a a, a more adventurous audience in theater. And uh, through the Innovation Lab the idea of off-center really took form and we created the recipe for off-center. This was back in 2009, 2010, um, that were five ingredients that all of our programming would contain in some way. And we like the metaphor of a recipe. So the ingredients were immersive, which to us meant that the audience has a more active role in the experience and in the story. Convergent, which is about the bringing together of different artists and art forms. Connective, which is about being in conversation with the community, 
um, inventive, which is the lab idea that we're constantly experimenting and trying new things and pushing boundaries. Uh, and then now, which was really about being relevant and in conversation with popular culture and, you know, and having a reason for telling this story now. And so we started out with all sorts of weird experiments and collaborations. We did a hip hop show. Um, we did a, a Wii baseball game where the audience just came to, into a theater and were assigned teams and played baseball, played Wii baseball on the stage and cheered each other on with play-by-play -play commentators and walk-up songs and mascots. Uh, and then we branched out and did drag shows and collaborated with a photographer and dance companies um, and then did a game show that the audience played because we were increasingly interested in how much agency we could give audiences in the experience. And then uh, around that time, I saw Sleep No More in New York after hearing a lot about the Boston version because I had friends who had worked on it. And, um, and that was like, oh, this is what we could be working toward. It has all the elements of the recipe. It is uh, of a scale that is amazing. And it could be something that the DCPA with our incredibly talented production team could pull off. And so that sort of started to shift the, the direction of off-center to really focus in on immersive and experiential, which was stuff we had been doing and was clearly kind of getting the most traction from an audience perspective. Um, and so we really doubled down on that and started, uh, we, we did a show called Perception where we took over all of our education rehearsal studios and filled it with props from our warehouse and moved audiences through and and I directed it and made such a complicated mess of audience tracks that <laughs> that uh, only I could call the show as a stage manager too because no one else understood how the logic worked and uh, it was then that we realized that we actually needed you know to bring in collaborators with more expertise and at the same time we got this another big grant from the Wallace Foundation which allowed us to scale up. And that's when I reached out to Zach Morris and Third Rail Projects to say, hey, you want to, can we commission you to create a show in Denver? Um, and that was 2015 that we started talking and 2016, Sweet and Lucky came to life, uh, which was the biggest show we'd ever done. It was the first really large scale immersive theater in Denver. And uh, it was, you know, it sort of, put off center on the map, I think lo locally and nationally in a way. Um, and, and ever since then, we've continued to be experimenting with pushing the boundaries of the form, thinking about different collaborations and different ways that audiences can experience it and be a part of the storytelling, be centered in the story and collaborating with a variety of different artists. Um, and, and that's the train I'm still riding and it's pretty awesome. Now, for a long time, you know, Off Center was kind of a, 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 you know, I guess in some ways it is still like a wholly owned subsidiary, as it were. But it was it was sort of an offshoot. And just this month, uh, the program's been elevated up. Like that was actually the term used in the, the press release um, to kind of its own line of business now. What's what's this status change for the project? Yeah, when we started, you know, the Off Center was under the theater company, which is the, you know, 
produces a season of um, eight to 10 main stage shows every season. We have a traditional subscriber base, just like most, you know, big regional theaters in cities. And, um, and so until recently, I reported to the artistic director um, and both under Kent Thompson, who uh, was the leader of the theater company until 2016, and then Chris Coleman, who took over, I think, in 2017 or, or thereabouts, um, they have been both incredibly generous and um, supportive of Off Center and given originally me and Emily and then Emily left for Actors Theater of Louisville in 2016 and and then I was the sole kind of curator of Off Center from then on they gave us the the freedom to program what we wanted and to kind of take the lead of Off Center um but it was always part of the bigger theater company budget and um it was i think you know structurally different from the other programming at the DCPA. The primary point of this move is that Off Center becomes, um, you know, one of our key lines of programming along with the theater company and Broadway and our education programs. And so I now get a seat at the executive table, which is an amazing opportunity. And it allows Off Center to be a part of the higher level conversations in the organization and to be supported in a way, you know, in the longer term that hopefully will mean we can, you know, continue to grow it in meaningful ways, continue to contribute to the overall goals of the DCPA and have a more sustainable, um, you know, path for how to keep this work going in Denver. Well, and and in a large sense, it's a, it's a vote of confidence in this kind of experimental and experiential and immersive work from a really large institutional theater. And, and we, you and I have conversations about how institutional theaters kind of view this work uh, all the time. And I feel like now's a good time to kind of like drag that out into, into the public square here, because, you know, in addition to Sweet and Lucky, I know, you, you know, you've produced Camp Christmas with a lot of hands on, um, Lonnie, of course, is one of the backwards of the show, so disclosure. Um, and and that's you know that's very different from what a, a regional theater you know might normally produce because it's 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 a storytelling experience venue, but it's really heavy on the experience side. And so, as as you nav have you as you've navigated this world of institutional theater for you know better part of a decade now. How are you seeing the other, you know, your peers in in other regions viewing this weird space that you get to occupy? Um, I mean, I think a lot of them wish they had the resources to be able to do something similar. Um, And, you know, the DCPA is just a really unique organization that's a combination of like a a decent business model, at least pre-pandemic. And, you know, Denver has an amazing um, funding structure that taxpayer money supports cultural institutions. And so like, that's a huge part of what has allowed organizations like the DCPA in Denver to, to continue to grow and, and be a meaningful part of our, 
of our community. And with good leadership that saw the need and invested in the risk taking um, and, you know, funding that allowed it to happen, Off Center has been able to incrementally grow um, and through rigorous data analysis and, you know, and I think smart incremental experimentation, we were able to prove that there's an audience for this and prove that it can be really successful. And so I think to, to take it, and it's taken over a decade for it to get to this point. And so I think that I, I hear from other institutions, like they would love to be able to do this, but it seems so daunting to just do a huge immersive show. And it is. And we didn't get to that point until like six years in that we were, you know, taking over a warehouse and doing a, a major production. Um, but I do hear from performing arts centers and from regional theaters, you know, there's a recognition that this is a space that theaters could and should be playing in and uh, that there's an opportunity here to kind of think more broadly about what theater is and and what theater institutions and organizations can do in their communities. And so I feel so grateful and fortunate that I've been able to be a part of that in Denver and that now we can share some of our learnings, which have been many and some of them <laughs> challenging along the way about how to make that possible. And I would love to see more and more communities and you know theater organizations embracing this because it will create more opportunities for the field as a whole to thrive. Before we get into some of the specifics of what you're going to be doing in Denver uh, in the not too distant future here and beyond, what are some of the things that are exciting you about this kind of non-traditional theater at the moment, right? There's, we, we've talked a lot about the productions that have been, what's on your radar that's, that's keeping the juices flowing? Um, well, one, I think I have seen um, cultural partners across the country really struggling post pan post shutdown and to get audiences back. And it feels like people's priorities shifted in a, in a way where they're not as willing to go out as often and to participate in, you know, theater and culture more broadly. And what my hope is for immersive and experiential work is that it cannot be replaced by a screen. And it is something you have to experience in three dimensions. Um, and so I have a lot of optimism about our art form in all of its iterations as being the thing that will get people out of their houses and will feel like a worthwhile use of their hard-earned money um, because you just have to be there. You just have to experience it. And I think if we're doing our jobs right, you know, that can cut through any other, you know, noise and, and be a, a worthwhile value proposition for people who are, you know, obviously who have many things competing for their, for their entertainment dollars or dollars more generally. So that's something just from a kind of, I guess, more business side that I've been thinking a lot about. In terms of the work, I mean, I continue to be interested in pushing the boundaries of audience 
agency and really, you know, creating authentic ways for audiences to interact with a story, play a part in the story, and influence the outcome of a story. Um, And obviously, as a theater maker, storytelling is central to me. Um, and that's what I'm looking for in the work that Off Center is doing, that there is a story and a through line. Um, but I think the, the, the work that is continuing to experiment with how the audience is centered in it, what role they play, and honestly, how to bring them into that in a gentle and kind way and way that doesn't feel like, you know, you're being thrown on stage and the spotlight's on you and then you have to, you know, everyone's staring at you. That's the work that I'm most excited about and interested in at the moment. Okay. So what do you have cooking in Denver this year? And if possible beyond that, (laughs) tell us Um, all your secrets. uh, So the big project that I'm in the thick of at the moment is theater of the mind, which is a long time coming project created by David Byrne and Mala Gonkar. Um, that was supposed to open in August of 2020 and is opening in August of 2022 after a two-year COVID delay. It's surreal that we've actually made it to this point because there have been so many twists and turns along the way of trying to get this show into the world. Uh, But I just completed a three-week pre-tech workshop with the full creative team and some small test audiences and all the pieces are coming together and it's incredibly complicated and also incredibly exciting. Um, the show is uh, is sort of this interesting hybrid of, of storytelling and, and a narrative and neuroscience experiments. And so you go through a series of rooms and environments where you get to experience neuroscience phenomena that essentially show us how easily manipulated our senses are. And there's a story that connects all of those as you sort of go through a life lived backwards and through these incredibly intricate environments that we've built out in a 15,000 square foot warehouse. 16 audience members at a time with one guide actor who takes them through. Um, it's going to be massive and uh, and I just can't wait to like put it all together. And the team is just so exciting and so kind. And so it's been a really wonderful collaboration. It's gotta be nice to have something that's been gestating for a couple of years, finally meet the public. What are you looking to bring beyond theater of the mind? I know it's kind of almost a cruel question to ask, but particularly now that off center is sort of its own pillar at the DCPA, what do you feel like your mandate is for, for getting work into Denver? Are you, are you looking at bringing some more work from out of town, bring some stuff up from, from the Denver community? What's uh, give us a little, all of the above if i if i can yeah um i mean the the other project that is announced and happening is camp christmas uh as you mentioned created by lonnie hands-on who's an amazing local artist and a dear collaborator um and this will be the third year of camp christmas with a a digital year in between um and the second year at a, a new location in lakewood Um, And so we're really excited to refine based on what we learned last year, refine the experience and sort of stabilize it. So hopefully it can become an annual event and, uh, and a part of the, you know, a holiday tradition in, in Denver and Colorado. 
um, beyond that, you know, one of the challenges, uh, we have this amazing production team that pulls off miracles um, and is, you know, so skilled at all the different disciplines and, and brings them together to make amazing shows. And we now, you know, know how to interface with a raw space and get all the um, infrastructure and HVAC and sprinklers to make it happen. But that is so time-consuming and expensive and complicated that I think big immersive build-outs for off-center are something that the DCPA can only pull off probably every other year, would be my guess. Um, but we've certainly done all sorts of smaller-scale works and more intimate works or, you know, um, works that take place in public spaces or in found spaces. and um, And I'm increasingly interested in what's happening around the country that we could bring to Denver in different ways as well. So, you know, I, I hope that in the future there can be more of a mix of stuff that we're originating and premiering and stuff that we're um, bringing in, either created locally that we help amplify or, you know, stuff that's trying to move around the country and they can find a stop in Denver. Um, I also am desperate as soon as there's a little more budget in the in play to be able to have more of a pipeline of commissions and development so that we can have a longer runway for projects and I can have, you know, be engaging more artists to be creating stuff that we will then premiere down the line. So that's a, a dream of mine that's not going to happen overnight, but that will continue, I think, to be something we're building toward. Well, I, I love the work you've been doing in laying a foundation for this kind of experimentation in Denver. It, it does look like it's paying off. It's one of the reasons why I'm excited that we've got the dig coming up at the top of November, because it means we're going to be, you know, and, and here's the pitch, right? Like, come on out to Denver in November, come meet up with other members of the immersive creative community and the enthusiast community check out theater of the mind uh, is one of your, one of your options there and also explore all that Denver's already got going on because Denver's got the you know, Wolf Convergence station. There's, you know, wonderful escape rooms out there, uh, rabbit hole recreation services, which is part of the bill, which has a national profile to it. And there's just all this energy in Denver. Um, it, it's like, it feels like immersive and experiential work has been, is almost made for Denver and or Denver is made for it. And so watching it all come together, knowing that you're there, you know, bringing this work up at the DCPA that off centers become, you know, one of the pillars, all signs point towards, you know, there at the, at the top of the country at the, at the highest point, as it were, uh, this is, this is where immersive happens in America. So I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, yeah. It's, to have people out and it's doing been this. a, it's been amazing to see the immersive community grow over the past, you know, eight years and all these companies that are, you know, either have been doing this work for a long time and are like now have a name for it or um, that are, you know, entering into the space or morphing. Um, and the quality of the work that's happening in, in Denver is really amazing. I, there's two shows on right now odd knocks from on high and control group productions, the end that both just blew me away and what they're able to pull off. Um, 
and the impact of those experiences. And, you know, there's a, a good half a dozen other companies that have stuff in, in the works right now. And so hopefully as part of the dig, you'll be able to get a taste of some of that. Um, and I'm now meeting artists who are moving to Denver because of the immersive scene to work in the immersive scene. And like that is a huge win for our community that like it is now seen enough as a hub for this work that people want to come here and, and want to make a living and want to contribute to the community. So um, I'm really excited about the dig to kind of show off our, our community and the amazing artists and work that we're doing here to um, our friends from across the country. And also as a kind of flag in the ground to say, this is a, a centerpiece of Denver and we want more people to come here because there are opportunities here and you can create your own opportunities and you can create your own work and there's an audience for this work here. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I hope that listeners from across the country will hear that message and uh, come check it out. All right. Well, Charlie, I know you've got a whole bunch of work to do. Uh, so I'm going to let you get back to it. But thank you so much. And uh, hopefully, uh, well, not even hopefully. I know this won't be the last time you're on the show. Uh, but uh, now we've, we've set the foundation and looking forward to the next time we bring you through. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Great to talk to you. Once again, I want to thank Margaret and Charlie for being our guests on the show today. As Margaret mentioned, she has an event coming up at Roman's Bookstore in Pasadena. So if you're here in the SoCal area, check that out. There will be the link in the show notes. That's happening on Friday, September 9th at 7 p.m. And uh, I know I'm going to be uh, I'm going to be there. Also, if you're in Denver, you might want to check out Theater of the Mind. That's going to be opening next month. I think previews start this month. Don't quote me on that, but you can find links again in the show notes. Um, sometimes I have the thing in front of me. Sometimes I don't. Can you guess which one I had the thing in front of me for? Yeah, no, yeah, it was, it was for the Romans thing. All right. Um, that's it for this week. Uh, I know we've been shuffling the order of stuff around because we, we, we're in this interesting position right now where we've got like a lot of interviews in the can and I'm like, Ooh, maybe this week. Uh, and I've noticed a lot of people, uh, last week were getting their copies of Margaret's book. Uh, I got my copy. Um, Margaret, Margaret sent me one, uh, which, which was lovely. And actually what's fun is like, there, there's a color plate in here. I've got it right in front of me again, <laughs> what things are in front of me and the color plate, uh, not only do you have, you know, things you'd expect, like, you know, here's some galaxy's edge. Here's some wizarding world. Here's uh, there's cars land, but you know, um, meow wolf, both uh, Omega Mart and the house of eternal return lost spirits, distillery in Vegas. Um, just all sorts of stuff is right in here uh, in the color plates, just really capturing this moment in time or in, and it's a, it's a fantastic, fantastic book. Uh, and if you are a creator or just someone who really, really, well, if you're listening to this show, you probably love the nuts and bolts of immersive. So I don't know why you wouldn't grab yourself a copy, um, highest endorsement possible. Um, 
there we go on that. Uh, next week on the show, I don't want to say, cause, uh, every time I've told you so far, I've then changed my mind, but just so you know, we've got plenty that we can bring you. And so, uh, and that's true for the whole month. So, uh, the rest of this month is just really, really fun. Uh, lots of fantastic interviews and I'll leave it at that. Uh, it's been a big week in the call sheet. We had eight listings, uh, three casting calls and then five jobs. Uh, there's an assistant professorship at UCLA for theater and performance studies. Uh, you do need a PhD for that one. Uh, there's a couple of narrative design roles over at Riot Games. Uh, those are, that's that's up in there right now. I don't know where it's going with that. Uh, and then uh, there's uh, a creative director role over at Thinkwell. Lots of stuff in the LA area. Uh, and um, there's, I think there's one role, uh, one job in London also made the cut. Uh, so we're kind of expanding uh, the net we've been casting lately, and we're able to turn up a lot of good stuff in the call sheet this week. Uh, also a big, I think, five uh, shows in the rundown this week. So just just a lot going on. Uh, just tons. So go over to the website, check those things out. Uh, links will be in the show notes. And let's get you on with the rest of your weekend. Uh, thank you so much for spending your time with us. And here come the credits. The associate producer of this podcast is Parker Sella. Music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Special thanks to Siobhan Lachlan for voicing our intro. And uh, everything that's wrong with this is mine. I'm Noah Nelson. And until next time, I'll see you at the show. <laughs>